Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. To keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself, do us a solid, subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired. Keep evolving. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. It is such a treat. It is like a wholesome, holistic, gooey, yummy, absolute treat to be here today. We have with us Dr. Nicola Perrin. Nicole, how are you? I am so good, Amrit. Thank you so much for having me here today. Oh my God, the pleasure is totally ours. For those tuning into Nicole for the first time, do check out her Instagram. This is a wealth of wisdom and it's so snackable and so practical and so useful. Oh my God, how did I do this without you before? <laughs> so the holistic psychologist, and she has written a book called, and I know you guys tuning into Inspired Evolution are going to love this, How to Do the Work, right? And in our spiritual circles, our community, we are used to the terminology, the work, um, which means many different things to a lot of us. But the, uh, the book is an incredible read. It's about healing our past and actually transforming our future. So, Nicole, the question I always want to ask is this juxtaposition around self-healing, which is hashtag self-healers is a big part of your movement, and this other juxt like this other awareness, which are we even really that broken? You know, like, and I, I use the word that broken intentionally because it's the cracks are where the light gets in, that old Rumi poem and that saying, you know, it's like our cracks and our brokenness is kind of what makes us really human. But at the same time, there is so much space for us to heal. How do you reconcile the dance between those two things? Yeah, I, I love that. I love that so much. And I, when I think about the concept of broken, mm. um, that definitely does not resonate with me. I truly believe that all of us humans um, are whole you know, at mm. our core, our compassionate, whole, cooperative, loving, connected, really the list goes on. I have chills even just saying it, <laughs> creatures. However, of course, and I'm sure when I, maybe listeners hearing me say that are like, well, I, I don't feel whole. I definitely don't feel healed. Um, again, that's not who we are. The mm. reality that most of us are living, of course, though, is not from that, you know, authentic heart centered, as far as I see it's space. We're living in, in patterns that, at one time and one place really were adaptations that served us. So going to that beautiful poem that I definitely know what you're referencing, mm -hmm. our cracks, mm -hmm. right, are actually were necessary for our survival. And while, of course, a lot of us might have by this time in, in adulthood, many of us, I'm sure listening are adults, have accumulated probably by this point a lifetime of consequences of some of those adaptations, right, that is truly, in my opinion, where the light gets in and it's understanding what I was just kind of acknowledging that we are not broken, mm. that the, the ways in which we're stuck served a, a purpose at one time. Mm -hmm. And for some of us, that's the healing in and of itself. Oh, I'm, I'm not, I don't have to feel shameful anymore. I don't have to feel broken. 
So ultimately, while of course, a lot of us have been living, you know, an accumulation of, of those adaptations or the consequences, I should say, of those adaptations, Mm -hmm. um, really honoring that at our core, we are whole, um, Mm -hmm. coming to the awareness of course. And for a lot of us, that means relieving ourselves of a lifetime of shame that we Mm -hmm. feel cycling through these patterns that of course not serving us. And then, you know, it really does. And when I talk about self-healing, what I really mean is self-empowerment gifting ourselves then with an opportunity, like the subtitle of my book reads to actually create or be a participant for the first time in our lives in creating a future that begins to look different from our past. And of course that means honoring, right? All of the cracks. It doesn't mean avoiding or dismissing it really for a lot of us means embracing all of the parts of ourself, the wholeness that we've always been that for, again, many different reasons we've suppressed, ignored, denied, diminished. Etc. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much for explaining that. I um yeah the the piece around our patterns and how we adapt and the certain things switch on and switch off. We had Bruce Lipton on the podcast. The conversation around epigenetics is very ripe and present for us. One of the questions that has emerged for me, especially following your work, which is not necessarily a question that I would ask myself, but I I know that there are echoes of this in the community is, you know, even the sentiment around self-improvement is, hey, like if I'm into self-improvement, isn't the self that I am the one that's potentially the one that can't get ahead? So how does, isn't that a bit of a catch-22? Like if I'm on a healer's journey, how do I get the tools to heal myself? And for those tuning in, do get the book. It's a gold mine. <laughs> it will help you on the journey. But nonetheless, what do you say to that here in this podcast? Yeah, absolutely. And and what I say to whenever the question is about right tools, resources, changing, mm. um, I think the first focus or first question to ask ourselves is well, where are you looking for those those tools, those answers, um, mm. that change to come. And really simply, there's two answers to really generalize it. And some of us, and again, based on a lifetime of our habits and patterns and experiences have a habit. And this is where I fell into the camp of, of looking outside of ourselves for the answers from someone else, right? Someone else to meet my needs, someone else to tell me the answer, to use someone else's healing journey and take the tools that worked for them and assume that they, of course, apply to us, which might be the case on some occasions, but isn't always the case. And of course, then the other really simplified camp of answers is, well, inside, right? Inside Mm. is where I can develop or cultivate, even if I don't yet have them, the resources to navigate my ever-changing environments. And I'm always in favor of that approach and of that model, um, because I think a couple things happen when we look outside of ourselves. First and foremost, we feel really disempowered. We do feel like we're not whole, like there is something missing that only the external environment, right. Can, can Mm. provide or can offer us. And that's just a self-limiting belief that we're reinforcing. I am not actually the whole being that maybe people like Dr. Nicole are telling me that I am um, because I constantly need someone or something else. And of course, Mm. this isn't to minimize the impact of our environments and our relationships in particular. I actually don't feel, or I, I don't think humans are separate from them at all. We are wired to connect not only with other humans, but with our environment. However, so the environment plays a role, of course, because mm-hmm. I'm imagining listeners are thinking and are like, well, especially if I was in a violent or abusive environment. Mm-hmm. And of course, epigenetics really does honor the role the environment plays. However, mm-hmm. what we're harnessing, right, with the work that. 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That I like to share is that we are a participant, right, in that environment. And while we are walking into the unknown day in and day out as humans, as much as we love to think we can predict the mm. future, we don't actually know what's coming next for any of us. So that's, I think, the second limitation of looking outside of ourselves. Um, what happens if, you know, that guidance isn't there? What happens if that guidance doesn't map on to what my actual lived experiences of this next own unknown moment are? Then what? So again, I'm in favor of cultivating and creating the resources inside of us so that we can continue to navigate the ever-changing environments that we can now also become a participant in through choice, right? We can make choices now based on what we know about ourselves and our past. I love that. And I it speaks, strikes a deep chord with me because I remember there was a, there's almost, there's been many moments of, you know, I don't think when we talk about healing, it's, it's a journey. Yes. <laughs> so you can relate. It's not the, the light turns on, the light turns mm -hmm. on. I wish it was binary, but maybe I don't, maybe that's what we signed up for. God knows. But, uh, <laughs> but there's this, um, I remember distinctly this clear pattern that I had, and you mentioned in your work archetypes. And I, I distinctly remember the, and sometimes I, I, I chide and I, and I just put, I put it down to me being Indian and growing up in like this culture where in India, everybody has a guru and, you know, there's someone that will show you and light you, light your way for you, you know? And I had this, this archetype that I call savior syndrome, which I know you have, like, you call it the hero in many ways, looking for someone to come to save you. And in my coaching, I find quite a few people actually waiting for someone to come save them rather than finding the responsibility um within themselves to and let me say themselves myself um to own um my situation where i'm at and then yeah trying to really just yeah take that responsibility that as a participant 
I'm creating my environment, I'm engaging with my environment, the people in my life are part of my environment. Um, one, of, one of the lines that, you, that you've shared is, you know, we, um, we use people for our, like, we use people, we use, but we do use people to facilitate our own needs, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. people are playing a role in order for us to make, get our needs met externally. And I find that um, the responsibility piece is is such a is such a hard nut to crack when you're first coming home to it to accept that all of my external environment everything that is you know that is occurring is potentially you know not necessarily from my own doing but that's the part where okay this is not all going to work for me and i need to take myself inwards imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I know that in the depth of which you share, you must have been on quite the journey yourself to have to potentially run out of external resources to finally look inwards. Was that part of your story? Can you share that a little bit with us? Because I think a lot of people listening in, some of us have been on that journey where we've run out of external resources and then finally looked in. And some of us are trying to look in without having to hit that wall. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And a you know, a big part of my journey was really learning um, how to how to separate, you know, me from the world around me. Um, mm. So I was that person who, very much based on an accumulation of my past experiences, you know, as they often do, originating in my core family relationships at first. Um, in my family, I'll just give a little bit of description. There was no boundaries, which really meant there was no limits when one person or when there was a crisis, typically health related. Um, mm -hmm. I had a mo mom who struggled with chronic pain her whole life. And my sister who had some other chronic illnesses, my sister was 15 years older than me. Um, so yeah. a lot of active related health things happening in my home. And so when stress or when there was a crisis in, in one you know, family member, when there's no separation or no boundaries in your family, the whole family feels that stress, mm -hmm. fear, concern, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And the more consistently that happens, and this is a big piece of the puzzle for a lot of us who do look outside of ourselves to get our needs met, when that happens in childhood, the consistent message that we're given, right, is that I affect the world around me because we've lived the experience of the world around me directly mm -hmm. impacting ourselves, right? When it's stressed the world around me, when one family member was having a stressful experience, it did impact me time and time again. So the more consistently we have those experiences, the more we do kind of 
um, uh, internalize this idea that the world affects us and we affect the world because that's the exact lived experience that we have. And then when we talk about personal responsibility, all of this that I'm describing is happening subconsciously, which means out of our awareness. And before we know it, all of these habits and patterns and ways of making sense of the world and ideas and beliefs get all stored in our autopilot is I think the common reference that most people might've heard, right? The, the habits and patterns that kind of happen outside of our awareness and that for the large majority of us are calling the shots throughout the day. Throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, when something in my environment, right, triggers or activates something deeper that I can't control before I know it, I'm yelling, I'm screaming, I'm overreacting, I'm having a panic attack, whatever it is I'm feeling, all of this again, outside of my awareness, it's really understandable to feel really powerless because mm-hmm. there hasn't been a point of space for you to affect change because chances are for the longevity of your life, you've been living in autopilot. You haven't actually had the opportunity to say, wait a minute, right? This habit doesn't serve me anymore. Yelling and screaming results in, you know, this consequence and I want to intervene and do something new. So when we think about responsibility, I very much struggled. I learned about epigenetics. I learned about the power of the environment to create change. And for a very long time, I thought that was nice in concept, but I reserved myself over here as a unique snowflake who that didn't apply to, because again, Mm -hmm. I was living so reactively up until that point. How could I believe I had control? I had choice because I didn't Mm -hmm. have the experience of it. And again, without those limits in a very real way, the world did affect me because I didn't have that point of separation. Um, And the way we can think of a point of separation for some of us begins as a pause even. Okay. Mm -hmm. This happened. How do I feel? How do I want to respond? And of course, I'm simplifying to go back to a point you made earlier that I think a lot of us love to hate. It's a process, Mm. right, to do that. So my journey really began in hearing about this idea of personal responsibility. Um, Again, so caught up in my old belief that no, this environment really does have an impact. If I don't have a supportive partner, of course, I don't feel supportive, not realizing that the partner I picked, the way I'm engaging with this partner. Am I even asking or letting this person know I need support? Am I open to receiving support? All of that was playing a role, right? In me assessing that they're not supportive. But what it looked like for me for decades was you're the problem. This environment's the problem. When Mm -hmm. I get out of this situation, I'll be peaceful because I won't be stressed anymore because school is of course stressful, right? All of this litany of outside Mm -hmm. reasons. And very gradually over time, I began to see through practicing consciousness, through learning how to be present to that old autopilot that for me was causing a lifetime of reactivity to being able to expand that presence in real time to actually now have the opportunity to make that choice that was very Mm -hmm. hypothetical at first. And then once, of course, we begin to make new choices, then we begin to embrace this concept and then practice of personal responsibility. We can come to understand that, yeah, we couldn't choose back then I couldn't choose the family. I couldn't choose what happened. I couldn't choose how crises were handled. And now I live the impacts of that. Now I can create choice by being present now, by seeing Mm. that instinctual autopilot. And I still have those moments of reactivity, of the feelings washing over, of wanting to kick, scream, and yell. And maybe I do sometimes, Mm. but Mm. gradually, of course, over time with that space, then you can have the most empowering experience that I believe a human can have, which is choosing 
for the first time for many of us in our entire lives. Yeah, well, the the depth of choice is a powerful one. And I can hear that you mentioned to take a pause on that journey. So what's what's the what's the practical steps? How do we let's say I know and when when you were sharing, I could hear the word triggers sort of going on in the back of my head a lot. Mm. It's like, you know, like identifying your triggers is probably a big part of it. But how do we how do we start? Like I say, you know, I'm I can totally relate. Like I've got challenges with boundaries and family as well <laughs> i think um we're potentially not unique in that um or maybe it's just me i don't know <laughs> um but yeah the how do we like i i had an interaction recently with my um my beloved mother and you know the the conversation around boundaries is a very is a very powerful one and it's not one that i can have with her um it's just not open and like and i can notice there are certain times when fully receptive and I'm conscious of, you know, how I want to react with her and how I want to liaise with her and it's, and it's perfect. And there's other moments where I pick up the phone and it's just like, I am literally just one big ball of wounding. Right. <laughs> and I just yeah. operating from like triggers left, <laughs> right and center. And where do we start? Like, what do I bring to the table first to sort of be able to map this journey out? Can you tell us through the process, take us through the process? Yeah, of course. And I'm really happy you're, you're kind of pinged on to that word, you know, triggers. And I, you know, become, you know, a ball of, of the feelings of the emotions of the reactivity, um, mm. because that's absolutely part of the journey. Um, mm. Before though, I think we get to that space of being able to in real time, right. Become the observer of our triggers and, you know, feeling all of these emotions in our body as they're yeah. mapping on, and then, you know, making a different choice, remaining responsive in that moment to get there. And I think it's really common. And I do hear a lot of people like, well, I obviously need to work on my triggers. Let's just get right to it to get there. Um, in my opinion, at least we have to teach our mind, our brain, how to function more consistently in a conscious state. Um, and mm. what that looks like for most of us. And I give a tip because I have the idea by now, most of us are carrying around a piece of technology in our pockets of a cell phone nature of sorts. Mm. And the suggestion I like to give um, to do your own, what I call a consciousness check-in, right? Here you hear me talking about this autopilot where all these habits and patterns live. And the only way mm -hmm. you're going to be able to right, create change or choice is through separating yourself or learning how to create that space. So how do I do that? You first have to see and witness and know what it feels like to be conscious as opposed to being in that autopilot state. Mm. Chances are the large majority of people listening are living the majority of their day from that autopilot. And I know that when members first join uh, my global membership community, the self healer circle, mm. the first it's a self-led membership. So upon entry, you have access to all of these different courses, as we call them with different tools around the journey. And of course there's one around, you know, unpacking your triggers and all of mm. that. The suggestion I give every member, we give every member upon enrolling because they can kind of design their own pathway through the content. I first suggest you sit in the, in the course or experience the course of consciousness, because until we know how it is to be conscious, all of these other tools are going to go out the window the second my body gets activated into that reaction, because that's mm. one of the core major ways that we get pulled back into that autopilot. Um, when we have something really big and really emotional happen to us. So to be conscious, I suggest setting an alarm 
for sometime during your waking day. So if you know you typically get up at 9 a.m. and you go to bed at 10 p.m., right? Sometime during those waking hours, set an alarm for, for maybe just one time to go off. And when that alarm goes off, it's going to be a two-part practice. Mm-hmm. The first part, when that alarm goes off, oh, my alarm's going off. I want you to simply notice where was your attention? What were you doing? What were you paying attention to when that alarm went off? Were you fully, you know, immersed or having the experience of what you were doing? So if you were doing work, were you really paying attention to the work that you were doing? Or maybe you were having a conversation with a loved one. Were you really fully present in that conversation or doing the chore that you were doing? Or was your attention in some other time or place? And really common locations are, oh yeah, I was thinking about this argument I had this morning with my partner and you know, it was really upsetting me. Or I was worrying about this podcast I have coming up and what am I going to say? And Chances are what you'll notice when that alarm goes off is that you weren't fully conscious because that's what consciousness means. Are you fully Mm -hmm. present to the moment? Are you having a conscious experience, which includes, are you in a body that's Mm -hmm. also having the experience of this moment? Are you attuned to how is your body experiencing this moment? We always have sensations that are going through us. We have senses that allow us to interact with our environment. So are you fully inhabiting that body? And like I said, fully having that conversation, paying attention to only that or the work or the chore, or is your attention somewhere else? And of course, if you answer the latter, mm-hmm. now this is a great moment to begin to exercise, changing the way your brain is firing mm-hmm. by practicing an actual check-in by either using the body that you're in through grounding. Can you just focus your attention on how it feels? Chances are you're sitting, you're standing, your body is being supported some way, somehow, right? Can you turn your attention to how it feels to have your body supported in this moment? Another hook for your attention is your breath. We're always breathing. In that moment when that alarm goes off, instead of thinking about that argument, Can you turn your full attention and just spend a moment or two with your body as it breathes, paying attention to that? Or again, your senses. Is there something in the room that you can see, touch, taste, smell that can help activate that consciousness? And now that is the embodiment practice of being conscious. Now, of course, like that light switch that we all wish for a minute, right? If I just do that once, I'm conscious now, right? No, right? (laughs) However, (laughs) more consistently, we practice that because I I was really intentional. I said, we're going to fire our brain in a new way because that's literally what we're doing. We're now going from all of that emotional hardware of our autopilot, just to use that analogy or continue with that, to the actual consciousness part of our brain that's very powerful, that allows us to create, to be connected to our intuition, to create a future, again, that's different from our past. So that's the embodiment practice of consciousness. And of course, the more consistently you teach your brain how to inhabit that space, now over time, you can learn how to consciously observe yourself throughout the day, see the endless narrative, see those points of activation, you know, come to the awareness that, oh yes, every time someone says something like this, I hear this in my mind, I feel this in my body. And before you know it, I'm screaming and yelling. Mm -hmm. And then gradually again, over time, there becomes that space we're talking about. You can live in the conscious awareness of all of that happening, right? We're co-experiencing that with our mind and our body. Yet again, we can still make a different choice. So then we can begin to explore our triggers, understand them, and more importantly, create space for that new response. I love that. The awareness and I love the the trigger of the, yeah, the consciousness checking because it gives you that space to take a moment to pause, breathe, 
evaluate and like you said the breath and I've, I've followed your journey for a minute so yeah the breath is a is a big part of your work and I um I yeah I found myself even you know it's like something you start or for me I'll speak to my piece like I I felt I had these patterns where I would hold my breath when I was stressed mm-hmm. yes and I just kind of knew that I did that, but I didn't identify or put into words that I did that until you were like, I heard you say, yeah. And I would go into these patterns where I would just hold my breath because I was like, and it was so chest, but it was like, it was, I'd just stop breathing. And I was like, oh crap, I think I'd do that too. Um, yeah. And just learning to allow yourself to breathe deeper and come back because yeah, with all my work with Eckhart Tolle, it's like, it's incredible when you ask him questions because he just brings you back into the present every single time and it's like there you go again come back there you go again it's like stop asking questions almost just be here with me uh, yeah. which is a bit painful after after a while it's like oh my god i'm just my head but um yeah the breath being the anchor to the present moment such a such a gift for awareness now the question i've got for you um you mentioned body you mentioned coming back and having these choices so these triggers, our traumas, how do I really ask this question? Do they, do they live in our head? Do they live in our mind? Do they live in our body? Like, can you unpack this for us, please, Nicole? Uh, of course. And I'm really happy that you're asking this actually on the heels of, of talking about breath and body. So, you know, to, to clarify anyone listening, you know, why, why, why do I go on and on about the breath and, and the body? in general, and even maybe more globally, why do you, why do I call myself the holistic psychologist now after coming right through a very traditional training program? And, um, that's because, you know, so what holistic means to me Mm. and goes back beautifully to the intro question here, which Mm. is really honoring the wholeness of our being that we are this consciousness, this essence, this soul, this spirit, this undescribable thing that, that makes each of us the unique being that we are, um, that is in interaction with the physical body that we're all living in while we are here upon this earth. And then of course we do have this very powerful uh, piece of equipment called a brain. Um, and the mind is all the cognitive functionings of that brain. And for a very long time in my field, we kind of like chopped off, chopped us in, into two. Um, and I became trained as the doctor of the mind, the right? Mind. With this idea. <laughs> yes. Which, I mean, it obviously honored the incredible um, power that does live in all of our brains or that we have access to. Mm. Um, and of course, even in my book, I, I dedicate a whole chapter to the power of belief um, and how powerful beliefs are in, in imprinting and changing our experience of our environment. However, mm. it left out the body um, yeah. very specifically and for a very long time watered down right this concept of of spirit or uniqueness or essence or soul or whatever we want it to be and so why why am i here talking about the body um mm-hmm. it's because we now know um through scientific evidence that our 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 brain you know we very for a long time focused on what we call top down this idea that our brain overrides everything in our body and we now know that that's not necessarily true our body is in just as much communication with our brain as our brain is in with our body. And so all day long messages are going back and forth. And what happens when we have past overwhelming experiences, um, that's what, how I like to define trauma, the more consistently our, our mind body was overwhelmed in childhood. So this extends um, the definition, which was once only applied to the event 
with this mm-hmm. idea that an event had a cross a threshold um, mm-hmm. of impact. And usually the events that we categorize were severe abuse or neglect. And if that particular type of event happened to you, we would acknowledge that you've experienced trauma. And even into the nineties, we became to realize that trauma experienced in a past time in childhood does carry impact, not only Ripple. emotionally, but physically throughout a whole life. However, that was leaving out myself as well as a whole other uh, population of individuals who didn't check the boxes of having have had that particular event happen. Mm. However, other events that consistently happened left the mind body system, the young child, right. Mm. In a state of overwhelm. Almost like um, a because tra- Exactly. Trauma happens when our nervous system is overwhelmed. Mm. And for those of us who didn't have a parent, who was attuned, which simply meant that they could sense when we had a need or when we were overwhelmed and we needed assistance because all of us in childhood are dependent on someone else. All of our nervous systems are still developing and need a healthy nervous system or Mm. a safe, balanced nervous system to co-regulate with or to help us become safe and balanced ourselves. And again, when we don't have that, as I didn't, having a family, again, just to use my example, because I think this might illustrate it with some people in mm. constant crisis mode or fight or flight mode, mm. emotional needs were right out the window, despite mm. very well-intentioned. My parents very much were, you know, consciously wanting to quote unquote, love us and support us emotionally. They simply couldn't because they were so caught up prioritizing their own survival because mm. that's what we do when we're in fight or flight that emotional needs weren't tended to. So that left me navigating big emotional feelings in childhood, fear, anxieties of what I was sensing happening in my household without that safe person. And so trauma lives to very specifically answer your question in the mind and body. So flash forward in time, my body was still as if it was living in that dysregulated, unsupported environment. My body was still in fight or flight. So despite conscious awareness, and I will, I'm a hippie at heart. I mean, so I, for the longest time, all I wanted, I joke, I say, I've been searching endlessly for my hippie hammock, my like (laughs) utopian hippie hammock, where I'm just peace and love, man. That's all I want. (laughs) However, I would find myself in these cycles of not able to feel peaceful not able to feel connected despite having the knowledge, the tools, and even the desire in my mind. And why is that? Because all along, no amount of logic could override my stressed out body. So I'm really Mm. simplifying it. My body was stressed out and continued to send messages to my mind that there is a stress at hand. There's a threat. And so before long, my mind could only follow suit, could Mm. become hypervigilant could begin to view things as possibly threatening, continuing again to send that message that yes, body, you should be stressed out and so on. And so goes the cycle. So So trauma is in the mind, absolutely. And in the body, those messages going back and forth are oftentimes why we're stuck Mm. in those habits and patterns. I'm glad you mentioned that you're a hippie at heart because uh, I dearly resonate with that. Thank you so much for sharing that because one of the, um, one of the, oh, I'll just go there. One of the more hippie insights I had for myself when I was in meditation the other day, one of my favorite books, um, it's written around here somewhere, or maybe it's on my meditation cushion, um, is the, um, it's called Mudras. 
and uh, mudras are little gestures that you make with your hands for those tuning in. Um, and yeah, different mudras, different energy flow, different types of things that are happening now. Very hippie concept. Very, it's it's based in the science of yoga. And and I wake up from my meditation cushion one day, and I was like, oh my god, it's not just my hands. Like my whole body is a mudra, right? It's like the way my posture, my everything yes. is like at all yes. times yes. is how I'm accepting moving certain types of energy. And I start to think about my shoulders and the tension in yeah. the hips and the lockedness and I'm, you know, and how the mind then reacts to that. Because even just the subtlety of which finger I'm touching with my thumb has such an impact. Imagine the way that I'm holding and carrying myself throughout the day. Yeah, it was a, it was a massive realisation, but... Uh, Definitely one of my more hippie ones. <laughs> I, I have chills actually hearing you say this. And I, I too think about this a lot. And I'll just share my quick example. Um, when we're fearful, we mm. contract. We try to make ourselves small. If we don't fight, right, the the predator or the threat at hand, a next great option is to be go out of their right awareness or out of their attention. So we contract in smallness. Mm. I had been doing that for so long contracting that my overall posture, and I'm still working on it through practices like yoga and stretching Mm -hmm. has taken a hunched shoulder appearance to the extent that in childhood, I have memories of meeting strangers on the street. And, you know, when they think they're being funny, making comments like, Oh, you look, what's wrong? Little girl smile. You look like the weight of the world on your shoulders. And that really was the living embodiment. And again, flash forward in time into my twenties, when all this was coming to my awareness, my whole posture day in and day out was Mm. sending my mind messages that I, I was contracted because I was fearful. So of course, again, bring it beautifully full circle. Of course I was afraid of the world. I was a living (sighs) reaction to a world that's scary. The only messages my mind was getting was confirmation because my whole body was in the state of contraction and quite literally I remained locked. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, the body awareness, I, I practice now even very begrudgingly because in the beginning, moving, anytime I felt discomfort, I liked to flee. I didn't like to be uncomfortable in my body. Mm. Um, so I had to teach myself how to, you know, stretch my body in ways so that I could help my posture and then help the messages, of course, that my body was sending my mind. So not hippie at all. I think <laughs> a lot of the time. And I do, I notice in, in people, in loved ones, when you just look at kind of how they're carrying their body, there's so much wisdom that our body can share with us. Yeah, I um I'm gonna sort of leverage that point to sort of say, as you're sharing that, the things that are precipitating for me is also the awareness around and one's a very cliche saying at the moment, but sitting is the new smoking, right? It's one of the things I've had people say. And I'm recognizing that, yeah, like sitting is basically like vertical a fetal positioning <laughs> in many ways, right? And then you've got screens attached to that and you're leaning forward and you are yeah. in this constricted and mm-hmm. I can feel it myself, like stretching out, the, like especially the upper pecs, the back of the shoulders and even just rotating the hips. There's always so much tightness in there and the the consistent patterns that we're forcing our body into in order to like become more and more constricted. Now, I'm going to take a bit of a stretch, but this was a question I definitely wanted to, to ask you today because, and fully honouring the responsibility conversation we had just before, but not but, I know one of your favourite words is and, <laughs> so, pardon me, check myself, <laughs> and um, 
I love your work because it's super compassionate. And I find myself sharing this with my coaching clients um, at times when we have such a propensity for being so hard on ourselves in terms of, well, you know, yeah, I sit all the time and I'm like this and, but it's my, you know, and we have these harsh voices in our head. And I find myself saying, despite my best intentions for empowerment at times, did we ever stand a chance? You know, did you ever stand a chance? And, you know, this is people are coming and they've got these, you know, inflated ideas about what potentially they should look like and, you know, potentially what, what, what can, like, what is normal for them. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, you walk down the supermarket aisle and there's all these airbrushed photos of people that are pouring in at you and you know that they're airbrushed, but yet still that's what your subconscious is taking in as like, this is what my baseline reality should be like everybody looks like this and I don't look like that right and so just that as a simple thing or like billboards you know you look at these people in their underwear or their bikinis and you're like in the in a five kilometer radius how many people actually look like this <laughs> like, like can somebody well you know maybe in California but you know like <laughs> but it's like this did we ever stand a chance it's like the inputs that we're getting like they're not necessarily, in my opinion, like honouring of kind of the entire human experience. The question, all of that preamble, how much of today's society is actually wired for our nervous system, which you referred to, to actually relax? And did we ever stand a chance? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of aspects of our evolution into the societies that most of us are living in now that are you know, taking us out of alignment with our natural way of being. I mean, before we even get to the content and the images, right, that we're consuming that are now ever available literally at any time mm -hmm. of the day or night immediately. Um, you know, again, that's not, that wasn't necessarily the case when, when I grew up in childhood, I mean, you know, cell phones, like internet, I think came in the nineties, I was born in 82. Mm. So I, gosh, I had a life before internet. If you can imagine, <laughs> I only had, you know, a couple places to get these images. So of course mm. there was always mainstream media and advertising, but before we even go to what are we seeing? I mean, I think a lot about how are we living, mm. um, having lived in cities, the majority of my life up until, I mean, I'm still technically in a city now here in Scottsdale, though it's not as much of the Philadelphia or the New York city that I spent almost the entirety of my life in and living in these loud environments on top of other humans with all of the energy and the stimulation that again is always present um, really is in our, our natural way. And when I say natural way, I, I really do think about humans as part of the natural world. The natural environment is literally living in connection with the earth, um, which is how we are able to, you know, meet our needs and mm -hmm. evolve. And again, just most of us can look outside and some of us are, you know, most privileged if we even get to see a, a portion of actual natural That's earth yeah. in our environment. And I think a lot about that. So, you know, um, when we talk about epigenetics, you know, we're really wondering and, and considering the impact of these environments, you know, on our development and our, our health and our wellness. And I do believe that the more stimulated we are, um, the more stressed our nervous systems can become. And the more than, you know, we are, um, at risk of continuing to repeat the habits and patterns that don't serve us because that's what we're endlessly, our bodies all day long are mm. attempting to self-regulate, to 
find that homeostasis. Um, and our minds are doing that same thing. So the further away, you know, we are from those natural points of connection, the harder it's going to be. And then the more stimulation that's happening, loud noises outside, um, hearing neighbors, you know, banging on the apartment above you, all of that might be keeping us quite literally locked, um, in a, in a trauma response. So you know, then the question always becomes, well, if I can, if I don't have the privilege of changing my environment, right, what do I do? How, how can I be, be a human, right, living mm. in some of these more unnatural environments? And, you know, can I find peace and regulation in moments? Um, can I make conscious intent? Can I make and keep and set conscious intentions to find these moments of reconnection, to find the natural space around you, or to find the practices within your day to create peace in your mm. nervous system. And while I understand, obviously it's much more complicated when they're not as accessible and when our environment around us is overstimulating. Um, and of course we have to honor that not all of us can, can change those environments, which is why from the moment I created the holistic psychologist account on Instagram, um, one of my commitments to the collective is to always make sure that there are, you know, we have the Instagram and the YouTube now and a podcast that there are access points for at least this information, right. And mm -hmm. for these tools and, and giving people the opportunity to practice some of this nervous system regulation, regardless, um, for free, of course, accessible, regardless of, of where you are, because I do know that for a lot of people and, you know, really honoring the globalness of, of our community there that for a lot of, I mean, I didn't, know this information until I happened upon it through the internet on my own, mm -hmm. through research, mm -hmm. not, not through school. Um, and so I know that there are a lot of people living in regions where these conversations aren't being had mm -hmm. um, where there's still very much is stigma about talking about healing and, and emotional pain. Um, so if I can, if, if those humans can come across these resources or connect with communities like, like the self healers, um, for a lot of people that becomes right. The, the doorway that can crack itself open to lead them to find right. The peace within. I deeply resonate with what you're sharing. My, um, my PhD was on vertical gardens on high rise buildings in the urban environment. And when I was studying it and researching and sharing with the world, it was all about, oh yeah, the pollution, like just so good for the pollution. Right. But uh, my, <laughs> my deep seated secret <laughs> was, uh, <laughs> I struggled with depression for six years and green spaces and yes. like what they do for your psychology. Yes. Man, like the fact that it was you know, less than like a few hundred years ago, there was just so much more green space around you yes. all the time and what your mind responded to that. And when you look out, it's just gray yes. when you're in a city, man, like, and then, yeah, that bleeds back to the, you know, the world that we live in, is it engineered to support our nervous system? And I love what you're saying in terms of, you know, finding and just prioritizing is what I heard you say, mm -hmm. just prioritizing yourself in a moment to sort of decompress you know i always uh fantasized about you know the japanese have this beautiful um practice around forest bathing which is they just go hang out in the forest and it's like well, what are you doing now i'm just bathing in the forest and i was like yeah well you take a bath every now and then why don't you just go bath in the forest like <laughs> yeah i found that very very romantic now to sort of switch up gears but uh not really dude ah, this is uh let's just go all the way down this piece around reparenting, man, <laughs> like, 
Oh my god. <laughs> Why am I being so begrudging? Something to look at there for myself. <laughs> um, yeah, the the emotional childhood dramas. And I'm going to start by saying there's always been pockets of work in there for me. I've never really looked at it as reparenting until I came across your book. Um, it came for me at a really amazing time. And that always blows me away, just on that hippie frequency for a sec, how these sort of podcasts land at just the right time for me to pick up just what I need. And it's like, all right, universe, is this my little yeah. trippy dippy adventure? Like choose your own, you know, goosebumps, go flip to this page. Anyway, because um, I've, I've, we've got a little nine-month-old that, you know, I was sharing with you before and I can, I can like, I think potentially some of it's got to do with the sleep deprivation for sure. Like when you're tired, like mm -hmm. your stuff, there is no, there's no gate <laughs> against your stuff anymore. The gate has been eroded, which is your resilience. And then it's just like yeah. your stuff's just like, popping out everywhere <laughs> and you're like whoa <laughs> um and it's a real opportunity to have a look i've found for me personally have a look inside and see what's actually going on and the patterns are just that much more readily i'm, I'm living them out and the harrowing part of that is a i can see it and my my resilience is down and b i have the perfect i don't want to say excuse or reason but fundamentally yes to not want to perpetuate those patterns and models because I know that he's not going to pick up on anything that I say. He's going to pick up on exactly what I do. right? Yes. And <laughs> I'm learning that like, wow, like my stress responses are not, are not supportive of the environment that I create around. Like I'm walking around, like I'll finish a whole bunch of meetings and I walk into my living room because I work from home jacked, like literally I can feel myself jacked and I'm like concerned. Da, 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 da. And he's right there just soaking in this, Baby, and I was like, ah, oh. the opportunity for me to drop my stuff is so readily available. And now I have even more of an impetus to learn how to do that because it's not just me that I'm impacting, but this beautiful little song, right? Touch wood. And so in that, this whole journey around, okay, how do I want to be as a parent? It became like this external thing, which was like, okay, how do I really want to be as a parent? Which was fine. Like I was like, okay, yeah, that's a good question, Emily. Like, you're moving into dad <laughs> mode. It's a total rite of passage, yeah? <laughs> And then reading your book and it was like, oh, dude, it's actually about you parenting yourself. And it was like this real like harrowing kind of, oh, but it's so easy to just, what do I want to do for him? And it was like, nah, dude, you got to look at your own. You need reparenting. Can you in an, I don't know if you can in a nutshell, but explain reparenting to those that are tuning in for a second, the impetus for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to first honor you, Amrit, for the embracing the reality because I get asked all different types of parenting questions from parents. And, um, you know, I always feel the bearer of bad news when my response back is always not, I don't imagine what they're wanting to hear, which is what do I say? What do I do? What's the script, right? How do I intervene? Mm -hmm. And I do give some response back, which is more modeling a different behavior, turning mm -hmm. that focus point, because to speak to your beautifully made point, children, do are much more impacted by what they see and experience um, in relationship or, or in environment with us, as opposed to what we say or do, or, you know, especially because oftentimes that's those statements are delivered right at a calm time and a place. And the moments that I think really impact us are when we're, we're not calm, when we are reactive. And now we're really getting into the space of what I mean when I talk about and honor the fact that all of us, even into our later adult years, 
have an inner child space in, in our mm-hmm. subconscious mind. Um, we have a space that, you know, has stored not only the habitual ways that that being learned how to meet their core needs, because a lot of learning is happening in childhood. We, mm-hmm. again, like I mentioned earlier, we are dependent. We can't even continue our survival on our own. We need a caregiver of sorts to keep us physically alive um, at minimum. And then of course, as we develop and and mature, now we have emotional needs and we need to learn how to tolerate stress and the other emotions that will meet on our journey of being human. And again, we don't know yet how to do that. Mm. We are learning from what we're seeing and experiencing in the relationships around us. And then all of that learning gets stored as the very habitual ways that now into adulthood, we attempt to meet our needs. And even hearing you talk about sleep and the role sleep plays in our ability to tolerate stress Mm. um, or any other emotions. Now, I just want to be clear when I talk about stress, um, I mean, anything that dysregulates us. So that means sadness. That means anger. That means when our body and we're having an emotion, our nervous system is dysregulated. And so when you see that correlation, the less I sleep, the more irritable I am, the more reactive I am. That's reality because sleep, nutrition, right? And the oxygen that we're taking in in every single second are actually what determines the health or lack thereof of our nervous system. Our nervous system is just to be clear, part of our body. Hmm. And those are our body's core needs. So when we're not sleeping, when we're not giving our body the nutrients that it needs, when we're holding our breath or we're not breathing deeply and evenly, right? Our nervous system isn't getting what it needs to be balanced. So it is then very likely that you are, and I will be the second person to admit, yeah, I get really reactive. I get irritable. All of those little patterns come careening to the surface, right? When I too am not sleeping, you know, or if I'm not eating well, or for me, it really does also map onto how consistently I'm moving my body. The less consistently I'm moving my body, the more for me, those energies begin to pile up and and agitate me. And then that triggers my reactivity. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we talk about reparenting, again, for a lot of us, that means exploring what these old reactions are. What do you do when you're overstimulated or when you're really upset? Because chances are you're still relying on those tools you learned in childhood. How did the family members navigate their emotions? Was there even space? I speak Mm -hmm. to a lot of people who grew up in families where emotions, there's no talk of emotions. We don't speak about emotions. We don't display emotions. So these are going to be humans, right? That have probably no emotional vocabulary, very little resilience. What Mm -hmm. resilience means is the ability to tolerate stress and other emotions and then Mm -hmm. to come back down into calm. So what reparenting is, is in a nutshell, is honoring that inner child space that lives in each of us. Um, That again, for a lot of us looks like the habits and patterns in terms of our self-care that Mm. no longer serve us. So on that journey, reparenting really means learning how to identify what our needs are and Mm. how we can best meet our nutritional needs, our needs for sleep, to care for our body. And then of course, what do we need emotionally? How can we develop that resilience, the ability to tolerate stress so that when we do have, if we do parent a child, in those moments when we're either stressed out or upset because of something happening in the relationship with the child or something happening separately, we know that our child is, is watching. And the more dysregulated we are in those moments, the more than dysregulated our own child becomes. So again, the work isn't 
telling your child what to do differently in those moments to regulate themselves. It's understanding how dysregulated we are as the, the parent in the room and giving ourselves the opportunities to make sure that our resources are replenished. That for a lot of us is the foundation, making sure that as a parent, we're, we're meeting our needs, we're mm. eating, we're sleeping, we're breathing, you know, and that might mean, you know, taking a moment or two or asking for support to care for our child so that we can go care for ourselves. <laughs> because the more we have resources available to us, the more in those moments of reactivity, we'll be able to retain that conscious perspective and to make those new choices. So reparenting really is honoring again, the, the inner child within that exists for all of us. And that is mostly, you know, evident in those patterns around our needs that don't serve us or in these moments of reactivity. And it's no surprise. And I'll be the first to admit, I act like a child when I'm upset. That's exactly what it looks like. I'm yelling, I'm screaming, or I'm like sticking my tongue out and running out of the room. Mm. Like, you know, and that is, again, it's very childlike and I can make a joke of it because it developed at a very ch childlike mm. time when that was the only resource I have. And again, if I want to now model something to a future generation, I don't have children myself, but if I did, mm. I would need to understand that those are the moments that are impacting that future generation. So the more I can make sure that I, I am well-resourced and mm. that I can develop the ability to tolerate and deal with stress and other negative emotions, then that will give me the opportunity to be my own parent in those moments so that what I'm modeling to my child is a more balanced um, human, safer. Mm. It, is such a, um, it is such a blessing to, to hear the way you've articulated that because the, the call to action for self-love is, yeah, is just so ripe in there in the and you know part of me was like okay practically what are the steps but you know i think you've you've articulated it in terms of the re like fully resourcing yourself and that comes for everybody in different ways like i noticed that you know when i'm hungry i'm more i'm more i'm more susceptible when i'm tired i'm more susceptible you know and just the endorphin rush of going to the gym even if it's once a week like i my my whole mindset just shifts you know we we're talking about the posture before when i've had like just 30 minutes to stretch you know and the next day i wake up and i'm like oh i'm my 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 horizons feel broader just because I'm looser, you know, like, um, I do, you know, I'm surprised we made it this far without just when just touching on dysregulation, because I definitely wanted to hear what, um, dysregulation really meant to you. But I think we've discussed a bit around that already. I really want to hear from you. What does safety feel like for you? Like, what does safety really mean and feel like? That's such a, a, such a great question. Um, safety, I think words that come to mind are, are grounded, mm. um, balanced in terms of energy for me, historically, a lot of my energy, I would describe as agitated is like this feeling of steam, you know, kind of pressurizing and not a real release. So I'm contrasting that with, for me, safety feels like a, a more kind of balanced energy flow, meaning I feel like I have energy as well, mm. um, accessible. And I think something else that comes to mind when I think of safety is expansive, whether or not it's, I have an expansive, you know, choices available, not just seeing limitation and well, this is the only thing I can do in that moment. Um, for me, expansive in terms of ideas, thoughts, possibility. Um, and again, for me, that is contrast it with feeling really constricted mm. um, and really limited. And it's interesting how I, you know, both of us in different ways are like describing by contrast, 
you know, kind of how we learned, you know, you being like, oh, my horizons are broadening because I've stretched. And the only way we've, we learned that quite often is by the contrast of not having stretched for a very long time and <laughs> giving, right. And, and then I just want to highlight because we're so used to our familiar, so many of us don't even see the possibility of feeling, thinking, being different. And I know I didn't back to that kind of those limiting beliefs that I was describing earlier. It mm. took me consistently making these promises again, foundationally of being conscious and then really seeing how constricted and trapped the energy in my body was. So for me, another foundational daily promise was beginning to move and stretch my body. Mm. And I had to make and keep those promises despite the resistance of my subconscious mind, which preferred me to stay in the familiarity of those old habits because that allowed it to predict what comes next. So the mm -hmm. lifetime of negative consequences for most of our sub or all of our subconscious mind is preferable again to that uncertainty. I, however, had to make those practices consistently enough to even feel the contrast, right? Feel like, oh, I can feel the difference between autopilot and consciousness now because I gave myself that opportunity. I can feel the difference between stretching consistently for several days in a row and not because there were many days right in it. And then over time, I was my own, right? It, my own kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, I do feel more expansive. I feel mm -hmm. more at peace. I feel mm -hmm. more even in my energy when I am conscious, when I stretch. And then I was my own testament. So then I was, I had evidence in those moments when those choices were hard um, to keep making them. And I just want to share that because we only know what we know. We've only been living in our experience. Most of it has been, you know, unconscious autopilot for so long that we do have to consciously commit to new choices before we feel that contrast and that effect. Tell us a little bit about those contracts that you make with yourself, because <laughs> I will be the first to say, um, and, you know, I've definitely had my own nights where I've gone out binge drinking and we won't talk too much about those nights, probably because I don't remember too many of them. No, but <laughs> this is way back when, but anyway, it was only like years ago, but still, um, still too recent in recent history um, to care to admit. Um, there's these moments where, okay, let, I'll just use that as an easy example, waking up the next day and go, I'm never going to drink again. <laughs> you know, and right. you make yeah. these sort of like massive audacious commitments or like, I'm going to do this for the like for the next 365 days. I'm going to bang, you know, and it's so empowering in that moment for like the next, I don't know, 30 seconds to 30 minutes. <laughs> and, then, and then it doesn't, it comes with its own challenges, which I'll let you speak to, but I fell in love with just a small promise, a yeah. small promise. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit about the small yeah, promise? Yeah, that, that concept of small, small daily promise was what, you know, changed, changed my journey um, from repeating those, those past patterns into, into one that I got to participate in because it really did harness again the reality that our subconscious will resist new things. And I think a lot of us in a very well-intentioned way hit those bottoms, right? Mm. As we're woken up, hung over the next day, or we just got into a terrible argument and said really mean things. And so we're never going to do these things again. And usually what then follows is a to-do list of several things now that will change or will go to an extreme, will stop entirely and never do again. And when we're, when we're moving in that extreme way, again, we're, we're reminding ourselves that our nervous system is going to be along for the ride of changing and that it doesn't actually prefer something new because again, it, it could perceive threat 
in the unfamiliarity of it. So five new things, white knuckling it to never do something again is really creating that same overwhelm that -hmm. most of us are trying to heal from. Mm -hmm. Um, And what, because what is so important when we're talking about creating and maintaining change and what is so important is consistency. Um, It's not you know, five new things starting tomorrow, it's being able to consistently keep at doing new things. So making that limiting that list to what I call one small daily promise is how I built a foundation for change myself, knowing that there were going to be many, and there were days where even that one small promise was very difficult. Um, there was many moments where, as a lot of our minds will do, they'll minimize, they'll berate us. Well, it's only one small thing. Why bother? <laughs> And even if we did bother, right, we might not be seeing the immediate effects of it. Um, And it might just begin to bring up discomfort and be (laughs) conscious. What we're going to become conscious to is Mm. our thoughts, our feelings, things that many of us maybe had been oppressing or suppressing, repressing, I should say, because they didn't feel safe. So anytime we're doing something new, we want to set ourselves up to be able to do that new thing consistently. Um, so what that means is making sure that we're keeping that promise or that commitment to ourselves every day, mm-hmm. and that we're setting ourselves up to then keep that promise, because that's the action that we're really working to maintain, um, keeping the promise consistently enough. And then of course, the next question that I often get asked is, well, what promise yeah, I was going to say, what make? was your first ever promise that you and it, it, can, yeah. it can be anything. So for me, my first promise, um, I began to explore. And at this point I was seeing clients. So once I left for work in the mornings, I would be in client sessions all day. I wouldn't get home until late in the evening. And I was usually tired and going to bed. So I was discovering the importance for me of having time for me. Um, mm. And so mornings became kind of the point in my day where I thought, okay, if I carve out a little space in terms of minutes in my morning to set myself up to do one thing for myself in the morning time that will make sure that I have at least taken or met one of my needs before I then focused on everyone else for the rest of the day. So what that looked like it was my very long winded way of saying, because there's a lot of steps to this, that mm-hmm. meant that I had to start waking up earlier, right? Because I didn't, mm-hmm. I woke up 15 minutes before I had to leave because I was yeah. streamlined. I got myself dressed, ready out the door, got my coffee and I was off to work. So my first small promise was not actually even waking up earlier. It was going to bed earlier. Mm. So I, I kind of backtracked my way into, okay, if I, if I now know sleep is important, I now know I need to get at least eight hours of sleep at night that, and I now know that I want to wake up at, you know, say 5am in the morning before my day starts. That means I have to go to, right. So I started to like, kind of back track mm. my way into yeah. what's the choice yeah. I have to make. So for me, it was going to bed an hour earlier. Mm-hmm. And then I kept that commitment that then that translated to me setting an alarm the next morning and waking myself up regardless of how tired I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in that morning space, I began a journaling practice. Um, so it was kind of a stacked model. And I wanted mm-hmm. to illustrate that again, I didn't say, I knew a lot of things had to change from the way I ate to the way I slept to the way I dealt with my stress. Um, really mm-hmm. the list went on. And again, I didn't say, okay, well, here's nine new things. I first, you know, back engineered space. And I really wanted to emphasize that because for a lot of listeners, that will be the first choice. Small daily promise is find a time in your day starting tomorrow for you and keep whatever promise in that one minute, even of that moment that that is. 
um, because I know a lot of us populate our day. We do have endless obligations. We are running businesses and families and every other thing under the sun. So for a lot of us, that first small daily promise is finding a space for you um, and then putting in that space, whatever, you know, something is that you want to create a habit toward some of us, you know, it's brushing our teeth, flossing our teeth, drinking more water. Um, it might be again, that consciousness check-in that example I gave earlier. So you might create that space in your day for that alarm to go off and taking that one minute to build your consciousness muscle. But really the choice is yours. Of course, the action and the choice is important because that will help you translate that into a habit. Um, however, what's even more important in my opinion is what's happening psychologically, because for all of us who have set those million promises that I'm never going to do it again, before long, that resistance pulls me right back into those habits and patterns. Mm. It will help us to feel more confident, more empowered. It'll reverse what I call that pattern of betraying ourselves, not keeping mm. our intentions or our promises because psychologically when small promises are kept, you're showing yourself alignment. I meant to do this. I said I was going to do this and I did it. And the more consistently you affirm that you do begin to feel confident. And then over time you do begin to feel empowered and you'll start to say to yourself, well, if I've done this and I now have, this as a habit, what's stopping me from creating another one and another one and another one. And before you know it, you do begin to live into a future that's beginning to look very different from what those old habits and patterns had created. Mm. You mentioned the future there, future self journaling. You mentioned, the, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about this practice? Yes, it's, I'm really, uh, it's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy. Yes. That was the journaling practice that then I created for myself, not being a someone who has had a kind of history of journaling and never that's really the part I related journaled. to most <laughs> never really journal my thoughts or my feelings and all of this when you know my story is all very understandable why I didn't because I avoided yeah. them so I didn't journal them however yeah. hi I was thinking about again the subconscious how powerful it is um really doing a lot of reading on neuroplasticity our brain's ability to change the fact that our brain can't tell the difference between imagined thoughts or scenarios or affirmations and real ones because our mm. brain treats them as the same. Um, so I began to experiment with a way to kind of merge this concept of creating change through neuroplasticity in a journaling practice mm. um, into a daily journaling practice that then I could create and maintain. And what I came up with, um, and these are free journaling prompts that anyone who is interested can sign up for the email list on my website, theholisticpsychologist.com. Um, and a new extended, expanded version will get sent to your inbox. Um, and what this practice really is, is again, identifying a small daily promise or an intention mm -hmm. that you would like to keep for yourself. And then the first commitment you'll keep is every morning or, or night or somewhere in your day where you have time to take out a journal or a piece of paper, or even use the printout of prompts that um, will come to your email address. Mm -hmm. And you're going to set the intention of doing that new thing throughout your day. So in the beginning, um, and still to this day, I, as part of my daily future self journaling, I remind myself to this day that I'm a conscious being who mm -hmm. shows up and makes choices throughout my day. So the action of writing that intention somewhere in your day has multiple benefits. Um, the first is for a lot of us, that's our reminder. That mm. autopilot is so strong. If you wake up tomorrow after even hearing this, you know, illuminating podcast, perhaps, and then you're <laughs> going to do all these new things, 
your 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 autopilot's waiting for you tomorrow. The momentum, so the propensity. Before you know it, it might be in the, the day you're going to bed. And you're like, oh right, that thing I was gonna do. And then again, that mm -hmm. happens the following day. So in the most simple way, the act of writing down that new intention for a lot of us in that journal is our reminder mm -hmm. to then keep that promise throughout our day. Um, I also suggest when writing that intention that you do so in the present tense as off as if you already did it. I will consciously check in with myself today by tuning into how I'm breathing and I will, you know, be awake in my consciousness or however. And again, the prompts will take you all through this practice. However, when you're writing that as if it already is true mm. now in that action of writing, you already affirmed and you're beginning to lay down a new neural network of it. Mm. The reality that that thing has happened, even though you're only imagining it to be. Um, and of course you can use this practice. So the prompts that I provide, you can use this along your journey um, through for whatever promise that you're, you're building into your day to day. And like I said, I still use this. Um, of course, it's evolved and changed a bit the different areas that I work on. I do suggest you make and keep that same daily promise for at least 30 days or until you begin to see yourself integrating, keeping yeah. the promise, of course, because it's not a magic journal. Um, mm -hmm. What I do want to kind of affirm at the end, while the journal for me has allowed me to create magic in my life by mm -hmm. reminding me of this new intention of setting my brain up to succeed in helping me keep it during my day, it is really the act of keeping it, of embodying that mm -hmm. choice, that intention that you're making in the morning or afternoon or evening somewhere throughout your day, because that's where the change happens. Um, and that's where the transformation happens. I can see you placing those prompts to ping the two nodes in our brain and the process of myelination, everything over the course of 30 days, just building that super little highway little, so the transformation yeah. can, can occur. I love that. Before I let you go, Nicole, the self healers circle, there is so much in there, your book the, and the work as the holistic psychologist. I'm inspired to tune into potentially discussing the future, what your vision um, is for an inspired evolution for tomorrow. What do you see? I love this. Um, my, my goal and my time here while I have it left will be spent. Um, I think working us, you know, uh, helping us evolve into that. I think what an inspired evolution looks like for all of us is a return to our wholeness. Um, I believe it is our heart space, you know, that allows us to be the compassionate, cooperative, loving creatures that I truly believe every human is at our core. Um, and I think what the evolution looks like is us peeling back all of these layers of conditioning and adaptation um, of safety seeking behavior so that we can more and more reconnect um, with that core loving creature of who we are and live into then a future where globally we, we are, you know, as opposed to feeling separate and different and in conflict with each other, that we're actually able to celebrate and honor our, our oneness and our universalness of being that I do think unites us all as humanity. And I'm here for it. And that's, again, why I, I show up each and every day and why I'm so impassioned about speaking about this holistic model of wellness, because I believe that is what ushers in our, our evolution as a, as a species. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sister Bear, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much 
for sharing yourself so abundantly here with us today. Um, I'm just going to go there and say courageously as well. Like there is just so much vulnerability and openness in everything that you share. And even guys, please do, if you do the very least, please do go check out the Instagram account. And I don't just say that because I know it's like Instagram, but legit, <laughs> like when you go there, I was watching one of my favorite videos is you role playing like even just your, your parent rocking up to your house without having announced to you that they're on their way and just how to set, like how to have that conversation. It's like, hey, right now I just need a sec for me, <laughs> you know, and it's like, I'm your parent, Mark. Yeah. I birthed you. What do you mean entitled to you time in the face of me? And you're like, actually, yeah, you know, and it's like this. Yes. Really, and there's these, and, and like they're like super snackable but super, super, super practical healthy ways to set boundaries, having those difficult conversations, so many beautiful insights. Please do go check it out. And Sister Bear, I just really want to thank you for the work that you're doing in the world, the space that you're holding um, for everybody to be able to look at their stuff and hold space for themselves. I really, truly appreciate that. I hear you use the word honour a lot. So honouring you on your journey. I know it's not just today's conversation that we get to revel in. I know it's a lifetime's body of work that you've put into yourself and up, down and all around. And here we are. So thank you for all of that as well. And on behalf of myself, the Inspired Evolution audience and tribe, the collective here, wishing you all the best on your journey forward. Thank you so much, Amrit, for your time, your presence, your mission, your community. Um, I, it's the support and people that are like yourself that are interested in having these conversations uh, that keep me showing up. So thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving. you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 